The following is a message by Dr. Stephen Baugh of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Let us pray. O Lord, your name is excellent in all the earth. We do praise and magnify your name. We thank you so much for this word of scripture which encourages and holds out hope for our future. We pray that you'll bless our time of meditation on your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. may be seated. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Continuing our series on the Psalms in the New Testament, this is a, uh, one of the places where Psalm 8 is referenced in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. I'm actually going to read down through a while, so pay attention. Hebrews 2, here's the word of the Lord. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not to angels that he, that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This ends our reading this morning. It's uh, tempting to uh, read that section about Psalm 22, I will tell your name uh, to my brothers, and turn our attention to that psalm rather than Psalm 8. Uh, That too is an intriguing use of that psalm and uh, penetrating insight into uh, the meaning of Psalm 22. Here, our author refers to Psalm 8 in verse 6 and 7 and quotes, quotes it in uh, 6, 7, and 8. 
He refers to it as testimony, a very interesting uh, reference, which we'll be uh, commenting on later. But I'd like to begin by just telling you what you're looking at in this place in Hebrews. Uh, As you may know, I say in other contexts that, in my opinion, the book of Hebrews is really one passage, uh, well, I'd say maybe two passages, uh, running from verse 1 of chapter 1 to about the middle of chapter 13. That really is one passage. And I think you can hear the, uh, from our reading this morning, you can hear the uh, references to angels cropping up uh, over and over in this passage, uh, just what I read. But you see, it is actually connected with what he had just told us earlier at the beginning in chapter 1. For example, uh, Christ himself is the exact radiance of God's glory. And then in verse 8, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, etc. You see, this passage is actually picking up where chapter 1 breaks off. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? Uh, That reference there, you see, inherit salvation, brings up in verse 5 when he says, uh, now it is not to angels that God subjected the world to come. The salvation and the world to come are interrelated, you see. Uh, The world to come is the realm uh, that salvation brings us to. It is this future world Uh, He makes reference to it later in chapter 13 as a city to come. We aren't looking for a city in this creation, but we're looking for a future city, one to come. Uh, We've left this one behind. We're on a pilgrimage. Here you see it's a world to come. It's a salvation that has been revealed, spoken of by the Lord in verse 3, so great a salvation, uh, and now one that we're dealing with here. And that is the realm uh, where we're traveling. Well, you see, it's not to angels, but Christ is greater than angels. And all this is intermixed, you see, so far until we get to our passage. So you have to know this context because Hebrews is developing this long, elaborate argument in his book. And it focuses on Jesus. Well, this is why he says in verse 5, as it were, it looks like it's just sort of out of the blue, but I've tried to indicate it really flows out of what he said earlier. Now, it's not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Now, he has in mind uh, Psalm 8, which he quotes, and he quotes it as testimony. He says, it has been testified somewhere. Actually, you could also render this, someone testified someplace, my favorite uh, way of referencing scripture, if you happen to forget the, uh, the reference. Um, And, you see, the reason he does that is twofold. He doesn't want you to focus on the human instrument of that prophecy. He wants you to focus upon the words and the fact that it is testimony from God about something. Now, if you testify about something, it's something not seen, isn't it? You have to hear about something that's true that you have to demonstrate. And this psalm, he says, is testimony to us of a reality. But it turns out it has to be a reality that we don't see yet because it's a world to come. And let's let's take this a little more carefully now. It's very tempting for us to read this, particularly 
in uh, verse 6, the quote in the psalm, as a clear reference to Jesus in the psalm. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? It's tempting for us to mystically uh, take this as a mystical reference and say, son of man, well, I find that all the time in the Gospels as a reference to Jesus. Uh, so this, is, this psalm is speaking directly of Christ here. And in my opinion, that's not the way to go. Very interestingly, uh, because the Son of Man here is simply a poetic way of saying man, a human being. What is man that you are mindful of him or the Son of Man that you care for him? It's just a poetic way to alternate, to say another, in another way, a human being, a son or daughter of Adam. Who are we that you are mindful of us? Uh, so just on the surface of the thing, we have to be careful about seeing Son of Man and imputing that directly to Christ necessarily here. Uh, intriguingly, because he is speaking about us here. In verse 5, now it's not to angels that God submit, subjected the world to come of which we are speaking, but it's to us. Now just a comment here on a modern translation. You know that the uh, today's NIV has come out, uh, and I, I know it's been discussed before, but it's worth mentioning here, uh, their rendering makes this all plural, as well as saying, what, what are mere mortals, that you are mindful of them, is how that they render this, in order to avoid any reference to a male person, uh, as a, an example of, or a representative of us all. The real problem with mere mortals is not only that it's plural, but it, it tends to suggest that this world to come is given to us uh, after the fall. But the psalm is speaking about us in creation before the fall. Uh, Adam is not mortal before the fall. He is an eternal being with no uh, death before him. Interesting, uh, whenever I read that, I think Greek. You know, just because that's, that's the common reference uh, for people by the Greeks over against the immortals. So thanatoi is the Greek word for mortal. By the way, it's not here. It's not used here or in the, not the equivalent in the psalm. Uh, but they would say mortal all the time over against the immortals, the gods. Well, that's a little aside, but uh, I want to I point out that he's simply using man in a generic sense for human beings that God has subjected this creation to human beings, the psalmist says. But our author sees this as unfulfilled. And because it's unfulfilled, and we don't see that yet, because of death primarily, it, it stands there as testimony of a world to come. Because God's purposes will not be frustrated. They will never be frustrated. Uh, and the way he brings it about it is fascinating. So when you're reading this section of Hebrews, in my opinion, the best way to read this is he's talking about us. So in verse 8, he's still talking about us. Put everything in subjection to his feet, uh, to human beings, mankind, our feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, 
He left nothing outside his control. But at present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. Notice what he says. He says in creation, he put everything in subjection. But the fact that we don't see everything in subjection now means that this creation has swerved from its original purpose and God is going to bend it back. Now verse 9, we see how God is going to do that. Verse 9. We don't see everything in subjection, but we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. And notice how he picks up this statement in the psalm and attributes to Jesus. Here's how he sees the accomplishment of that bending back to God's original purpose, crowned with glory and honor. He lifts that phrase right out of the psalm. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, it's, it's easy to stop there, but I think this passage goes on, as all Hebrews, we really should read the whole book, I think, at this, at this place to flesh out all the little nuances here. But I'd just like to very quickly comment on how that ends there, but you have to read on, because notice what he says. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Just one comment on that section. Why is it fitting? What's the fittingness here? In the end, it's because God is God. It's fitting for God to be the originator of all of this. Because he's the one who had his original purpose in creation to put all things in submission to our feet. And it's fitting for him to bend this back to his good purpose because he is God and his name is exalted in all the earth. His name will be exalted necessarily. And it's fitting for him to bend it back for his good purposes. And he did it in this amazing way by making the founder of salvation perfect through suffering, particularly suffering of death. So as this goes on, you have to see that he's thinking of the original creation. This is why he makes reference in verse 14. Through death he might destroy the one who has the power of the death, namely the devil. He's thinking of a creation brought on by the psalm. And he's saying God is bringing us back to creation and advancing it. A world to come which is more glorious, more perfect, more permanent uh, than this creation. One that will not be changed. And the one who has been crowned with glory and honor after suffering death has entered into the perfection of life. And all things have been put in subjection to him so that he might bring all things in subjection to us that we might, through him, enjoy creation again and not face it as a place of death. This is, this is what he's saying. So he's saying that in Christ, the purpose of human beings has been brought back to original purpose far more gloriously than even at the beginning. 
And so that when we sing Psalm 8, we should see it as testimony to our future, as well as praise for what God has already given us. But we don't see that yet in full realization. But we do see Jesus. That is our hope and a confidence and assurance. Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. In strength you have created things, and you've submitted them to weak things. Even babies will sing your praise. The weakest uh, will uh, find your uh, fame to be worthy of all praise and glory. O Lord, we live our lives here in this world in weakness, facing death. We do pray that you will Help us to walk with confidence, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has gone before, crowned with glory and honor, though through death, to bring us into our inheritance in a world to come. Keep us to that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.